Uh, my name is Tim. It is great to see you tonight. Um, I wonder how many of you know that there is a hidden underground farm in Clapham. Did you know that there was an underground farm in Clapham? Just talk to your neighbor. Did they know? Ask your neighbor. Did you know that there was an underground farm in Clapham? Well, in tunnels underneath, you might just need to turn the gate down on my mic, Rory. In the tunnels underneath Clapham Common, an enterprise called Growing Underground has used the tunnels that are there to grow food. So you're going to have to see a photo come up by the glow of LED lights. That's the original photo of the bunkers being used. They were built in 1944. This is by Clapham South Tube Station. People sleeping there to avoid the blitz, and then you can see on the right, this is what happens now. It looks like looks very futuristic. They're growing all sorts of things, and they're using LED lights and hydroponics, whatever they are, this is straight from their website, to grow red cabbage, watercress, sunflower shoots, pea shoots, spi uh, spicy purple radish, rocket, and spicy garlic chives. And I didn't know could, garlic could be spicy or in chive form, but they did, and they found the way to grow it. And what we've been looking at for a couple of weeks together as a church is the way that uh, there is a harvest that God wants to point us towards that can be a bit like that, that's there, that's thriving, that's flourishing, that's waiting to be brought in, but we might not always see it. It's not underground, it's out there, but we might need God just to point it out to us. We've had the reading today from Laura from verses 17 to 24 of chapter 10, but a few weeks ago we considered this verse, which is verse 2 of chapter 10. And it's Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this, he makes this spiritual assessment, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And he says, go, I'm sending you. And this is Jesus' way of saying, there are many, 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 many people, and it's time for them to be brought to me, to come into the kingdom of God, to come into a relationship with their heavenly father. It's time, he said. There's a harvest, and it's out there, and it might be hidden to you, but if you open your eyes, you'll see that it is plentiful. And therefore, he says, workers are needed. Doing this work of reaping, of bringing people in to know God, to show them the power of God and to tell them about the mercy and the love and the grace of God. And what we considered for a few weeks together is that God still makes the same assessment, and he still wants to use us to do the same thing. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And if you notice, he flips it from the way around that we might think about it. We might be tempted to think, basically, we're all up for this thing about telling people about Jesus, but they're just not really interested. God, the problem you see, and we know this, is that the, the problem's with the harvest. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God wants to use you to share him with other people. That's been the central thing we're looking at. It's what we're talking about again tonight. God wants to use you to share other people, to share him with other people. And this means the sum of our Christian life isn't just about getting by and trying our best, but it's actually with our eyes up, looking to how else we can bless, looking to who else we can serve, looking to who else we can share Jesus with. I heard a great phrase this week about God, God wanting to move us in our relationship with him from survival to revival. God wanting to move us from survival to revival. Instead, it's not just about getting by, but it's about walking with him into all that he has for us. 
And what we're going to see tonight as we hear that kind of message again is the kinds of people that God wants to use. Because you might have been sitting, um, you might be hearing this now thinking God wants to use me for that. Or you might have sat here for the past couple of weeks, past couple of weeks and think, can that really be me? But I think tonight is going to be such an encouragement as we go through this passage and see who God uses and who God speaks to. So if you'd like, you can look within your Bible if you've got it in front. If you look at verse 17, it will also come up on the screen. Let's just read this one verse together. And by read it, I mean I'll say it and you can listen. Not all out loud, you know. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Lord, even the demons submit. They're full of joy in this moment. So what we've seen in the past couple of weeks is Jesus sending out his disciples. He's made that statement, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And then he sent out 72 people to be his workers. And he sent them out to towns and villages to go and do the kind of ministry he's been doing. Showing the kingdom of God and telling people about the kingdom of God. And this is the moment where they've come back. They've come back from the mission trip. I don't know how long it took. A couple of weeks, a couple of months. They've come back to Jesus and they go, wow, look, God, it worked. It worked. Even the demons submit to us. And that implies that they've seen other things as well. If even the demons are submitting, then it means broken bodies are being healed. And miracles are being worked. And people are being won to the Lord. And they're so excited for this. But this just shows us a really significant thing about the kind of people that God chooses and God uses and God speaks to. This example of the disciples. And it shows us this, that God reveals himself to the humble. That God reveals himself to the humble. God loves to associate, to be with people who are not proud. They're not haughty. They're not conceited. They don't think too much of themselves. God reveals himself to humble people. And we see that in verse 21. Again, you can read with me. See, they come back to Jesus and they're overjoyed and Jesus is full of joy. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that is what you were pleased to do. These verses here, they're one of only two places in the Gospels where we see Jesus rejoicing, where Jesus is said to rejoice. And his rejoicing, his being happy and full of joy is this wonderful little picture into his relationship with God, the Father, through the Spirit. It's a relationship actually, a picture of the relationship between the Trinity. Because Jesus is said to be rejoicing and he's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. And then he says at the end about this is what you, Father, were pleased to do. And what was God the Father pleased to do? What is Jesus' delight in? Because this is this kind of moment where Jesus is saying as they've come back and go, wow, God, we've seen even demons submit to you. Jesus is saying, God, I love the way you work. I love the way you work, Lord. You reveal yourself and you reveal your kingdom, not to wise and learned people, but to little children. You see, his uh, followers, his, we might think of them now as, you know, you read the Bible and there's all sorts of stories of what they do and how they share God. But they were humble people. They were tax collectors and fishermen. They weren't learned people in the eyes of people in the day. They were people from a place called Galilee, especially, which in the grand context of Israel at that time didn't amount to very much. 
I could make a comparison to another town in the UK to say, you know, Reading or something. But um, some of you might be from Reading and it wouldn't be very fair. <laughs> they were humble people. They were humble people who had said yes to God. And Jesus is full of joy in this moment because he goes, wow, God, you were pleased to use in the grand scheme of things, little children to show people and tell people about your love and to show my kingdom. God was pleased to do that. He was pleased to do that. God loves to do that. One of the things we've done recently, and I'm excited about it, you know, I'm, I really enjoy that we get to put up uh, signs around the church. Remember the big ones we've had? The most recent one we had, the big one on the side of the church was Merry Christmas from HGC. And uh, we've just updated the signs around the, the four corners of the church. Um, this was a sign I saw, I think it was somewhere online, I saw it. And it's from a church in America, the Parkway United Church of Christ. And it says, we love hurting people. I'm fairly sure that should say, uh, we love people who are hurting, and not, we love hurting people. It's an aggressive way to um, reach out, I think. It's one way to do evangelism, I guess. Um, come into the kingdom. Uh, you know who God loves? He does love hurting people. He does love people who are hurting. He does love people who are humble. And it's often the people who are hurting that are the most humble. God loves humble people. God, people who will humble themselves before him and say, you're God and I'm not. Who don't think too much of themselves. Whose identity isn't caught up in things on the earth, if you like, whether that's status or wealth or fame, whatever those things are. God associates himself with, he looks out for, his eyes on people who are humble. Why do you think Jesus said, to come into the kingdom, you need to be like a little child? Do you remember that moment in the Gospels? Jesus says, you need to, to see my kingdom, to enter in, you need to become like one of these little children. And he was using a child to make the point. It's because children are humble in the grand scheme of things. They're humble people. Why do you think the Gospel is good news for the poor? Why is the gospel good news for the poor? That's what Jesus said he came to do, to proclaim good news to the poor. Why the poor? Well, it's those that might be last in the eyes of the world that God especially comes to. I mean, he's here for all of us, but those that come close to him and those that he reveals himself to are humble people. James 4.6 says, The God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Romans 12.10, and this is the verse that we looked at with an excellent talk yesterday from Ben Rogers. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's the way of Jesus. And I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you, says, Lord, says the Lord, for my power is perfected in weakness. That's God's way. His power being perfected in weakness and not strength. So as we talk about this thing of sharing God, remember that it's to the humble that God loves to show himself. Jesus said, I praise you, Father, because you've revealed these things to little children. And then in another way, he kind of says it again, because he says the same thing. We have this moment between him and the Father, and then he says it again to his disciples in verse 23. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. 
For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. And this seeing and hearing, this was seeing and hearing the kingdom of God coming in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, God was pleased to reveal it through you, even though you're not important in the eyes of the world. He was pleased to bless you with that. Because God loves to reveal himself to humble people, to the humble. But also this shows us that God loves to reveal himself through humble people. He reveals himself to humble people and he reveals himself through humble people. You see this moment of the disciples going out and doing the work that God's called them to do, this work of being a harvest worker. They obviously saw the power of God at work. They must, it must have been amazing going in the authority that Jesus had given them. But of course, God wasn't just showing them what his kingdom was like. He was working through them. That's what he'd sent them to do. That's what he'd sent them to do. They say even the demons submit to us. They were healing people. They were doing the ministry that Jesus had been doing. Jesus says in Luke 9, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, raise the dead, freely you've received, freely give. That's what they've been doing. And God was revealing himself through them. We've already read it in verse 17. God, we can't believe it. Even the demons submit to us. And Jesus' response is interesting because he essentially says, well, duh. Well, duh, yeah, of course they did. Look, verse 18. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. They come back and say, God, even the demons submit. And Jesus goes, yeah, I have authority over Satan and I've given you authority over Satan, over evil, over darkness. Nothing will harm you, he says. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And that's just a little glimpse that we get into the story of God and the devil and how God judged Satan and threw him out of heaven. God has authority over darkness. God has authority over evil and the enemy who is Satan. And Jesus said to them, and he says to us, and I give you the same authority. Jesus was given authority. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And Jesus gives that to us. Jesus gives authority to us. And so he says, don't be surprised when you see my power at work. Let's go to that verse 17 again. You can read it with me again and just look at the last bit of it. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. God, they submit to us in your name. The authority that we carry as believers is all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God hasn't just given us power to do what he's calling us to do, but he gives us authority, permission, the chance to represent him. Do you remember the Zoom call that went viral this year of the Handforth Parish Council? Well, it was the Zoom call and they were trying to get back between each other and that man said, you do not have the authority to do that. I think her name was Janice. Jackie, thank you everyone. Jackie. <laughs> shows you're paying attention. Jackie, you do not. Jackie Weaver, I think. You do not have the authority. See, there she was in that call making a suggestion, I think. I can't remember what it was. I should look it up for a sermon illustration, probably. 
But the point was, she didn't have the authority to do it. So she couldn't do it. You do not have the authority to do that. But Jesus says to us, you do have the authority to do what I'm calling you to do. You go with my name, and the name of Jesus Christ is above everything in heaven and earth. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because the name of Jesus Christ is the name that breaks people's chains, that frees them from darkness, that sees them freed from their sin. It's at the name of Jesus that people are healed, that broken bodies are healed, that people are restored, that people's whole bodies and minds are made whole in God. And we don't often, I think, talk about this at HCC. But God gives us authority to do the kind of work that he did. This is what I mean about um, the sum of our lives. It's not just survival, it's revival. It's seeing God move through us. Because when you start to pray in the name of Jesus, things can happen. I don't have many stories about um, evangelism or praying for people or anything miraculous or supernatural. And I, but I've told basically all of the stories I have over these past three weeks. So when you listen to me tell this sort of thing, don't think, oh, wow, Tim's got all these stories in the bag. I've used them all up, and I'm waiting for more. But a few years ago, I had the chance um, in a skate park uh, to just step into this kind of thing slightly. And I think I was probably 26 at the time, and I decided it would be a great idea to try skateboarding again. And as soon as I tried that, I thought, oh, man, I'm so unfit, and I don't have any balance anymore. But I was trying it in the middle of the day at a skate park where there wasn't anybody there, apart from a few teenagers who were probably the right people to be in the skate park. And I noticed that one of them um, had a bandaged hand. And we sort of went on our way. And the thing is, skateboarders are quite friendly people. And there I was, sat down at one point, sort of breathing a bit too hard. And you get chatting because people just say, hi, and how are you? And I just sort of said hi to these guys. And then to the thought came to mind as I saw this guy with his bandaged hand. I thought, ah, oh, I think I should pray for him, which isn't a thought I often have. So I decided that I wasn't going to do that, and I went skateboarding again. And then I came back and thought, right, because the thought stuck with me. I said, what have I got to lose? I'm just going to offer to pray for him. And so I said, hi. And this guy was probably about 14 years old. Um, this might sound a bit weird, um, but I'd love to pray for your hand. And he sort of went, uh, okay. Um. And I said, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God can heal. Um, i just love to pray for you. I think, I think God can make it better. And he went, right. Okay. Okay. So I said, I'm just going to hold my hand above yours. I'm not going to touch it, and I'm just going to pray. And so he held his hand out, and the reason he had it bandaged up, and sorry if you're squeamish, is because he said a spike had gone in between his first finger and his second finger, and it was really damaged, and he had stitches all the way in the middle, and it was really swollen, and it was really painful, and he couldn't move it. But I prayed for him, and it wasn't long after I started praying, something very simple about God, heal him, God, take away the pain, that he said, oh, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? Because something was going on in his hand. And I was more excited than he was at that point, because I thought, oh, something might be happening. <laughs> but I kept praying again, and the result was him actually taking off his bandages and moving his hand, and he didn't have any pain there. Now, I'd love to know what happened to him and what followed up. But the point is there that I was praying in the name of Jesus. So any measure of healing that he received there was in Jesus' name, 
because Jesus' name has all the authority which God gives us to us, gives to us, even over broken bodies. I had the experience um, when I was uh, again a similar kind of time when I was in Chiswick of doing a bit of street evangelism, which let me tell you was incredibly scary to do, and um, certainly not within my comfort zone. But we used this little tool called Jesus at the door, and the way the way into a conversation with someone is to show them a photo. And it's the photo of that verse from Revelation where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And it's just quite a simple way to talk to people. And you say, hey, have you seen this photo before? And generally people are going to say no. And if they're up for chatting, they'll chat. And you can, there's some questions to ask them, basically. And what you're trying to lead people to do is say, can you hear that Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart? Well, I have to admit that when we stepped out of our church to go and do this, I wasn't feeling particularly, A, excited or B, expectant about it. But this one lady we got to pray for, um, after 10 minutes of talking to her, and we took her through the questions, and we explained what sin is, we explained what the need for forgiveness is, we explained that she could be set free, we ended up, the question is, essentially, would you like to give your life to God? And she said, there and then, yes, tell me how. She said, yes, tell me how. You see, when you go in the name of Jesus Christ, with the authority that he gives you, stuff that only God can do begins to happen. Now, when you hear those stories, you might think, because probably what I should do is also back them up with lots of chances where uh, lots of opportunities I've had to talk about Jesus or pray and nothing's happened and I've seemed to have made the situation worse. But you see... When we begin to do that stuff, we might, you might hear those stories and think, oh, Tim, again, that is great for you, and I'm so glad that you have those stories. I just haven't seen that, and I'm just not sure about it. But this is where we remember that God reveals himself and loves to use, and he loves to reveal himself through humble, ordinary, everyday people to whom he gives his authority, to whom he gives his authority. This means that tomorrow... When you go to work, whether that's going to a building or whether that's sat on Zoom, God goes with you because you carry the name of Jesus Christ. So when you meet people in their need, you're not just meeting them with the resources that you have. You're meeting that with the resources of heaven. And you're meeting that with the name of Jesus Christ. You're meeting people's needs in his strength, not our strength. Evangelism has been described by one person as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. See, there was Jesus rejoicing. He says, God, wow, you've revealed these things to little children. And that's how we go. It's like we go as little children, trusting and dependent on our Heavenly Father. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Maybe a better way to think about it, and I'm sorry if this brings up pain for you, Maybe one better way to understand talking about Jesus and sharing him is to say it's a bit like one cancer survivor telling another person where, what the cure is. One cancer survivor telling another person what the cure is. When you think about what the gospel is, it is the cure for everything. We carry the cure for every person's need. And their greatest need is, of course, to know their heavenly father. And when you think about it like that, why would we not tell people? Why would we not share Jesus Christ with people? Why would we not? Why would we hold that back when we have what they need? But to equip us to, God, to, equip us to do that, God says, I send people who are humble 
and I send them in my authority. I wonder if there's some of our Christian life can be a bit like that farm that I referred to. Let's just have the photo again. Under that, in that farm, under those tunnels under Clapham Common, there's light and there's growth and there's vibrancy and there's lots going on. And the danger is that we make the sum of our Christian life a bit like that farm where lots is going on and there's light and growth, but it's hidden and it's private and no one can see it. God wants uh, his light to shine through us. He wants us to move from survival to revival. He wants to use us as well as bless us. In fact, we are blessed to be a blessing. Uh, a book I've been reading at the moment is by a, called, a guy called Alan Scott. It's called Scattered Servants. And he's a pastor in New, uh, he was a pastor in Northern Ireland and he's moved to California. And he talks about this, this, what it is to follow Jesus and what God has for us. And I love this, so I, I, as I was reading recently, so I thought I'd quote it for you. He said this, The dream of God is not that you become a believer and help your local church. The dream of God over your life is that you come alive in his presence and bring life to every environment, spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. God has entrusted believers with an assignment to lead the earth into life. And if we can just leave that slide up, because I think that sums it up so well. That sums up what Jesus sent out the 72 to do and what he wants to send us out to do, to entrust us, to give us that authority, to lead a hurting humanity into life. That's what God wants to do through you. Not just that you are blessed and that you have life, but God's life is shared with all of those around you. God has entrusted believers with an assignment to lead the earth into life. Now, if you're a sane person, you might think that sounds quite scary. You might think that sounds quite hard. And of course, it can be challenging. Remember, when Jesus sent out these 72, he said, I send you out like lambs among wolves. But if God uses the humble to reveal himself to them and reveal himself through them, then that means he can really use anybody. God can even use little children, and I mean actual little children. This week, I heard the story and this was from someone in my connect group who shared the story of his younger brother and this profound moment where his younger brother was at the doctor's. And just to give you some context, this is when his younger brother was only five years old and um, his younger brother has pretty profound additional needs. And at that point of his life, he really didn't ever say very much. He had moments of speech where he didn't say very much. But I think God used him because there he was at his regular doctor's appointment, when he turned to his doctor and said, I weep that you don't know Jesus Christ. He was five years old. I weep that you don't know Jesus Christ. God can use anyone. I love hearing about two little twins in our church. I think they're two. And they sing all the time. And they've been singing that children's song that we do called My Lighthouse in their nursery. And they've been singing it so much that people are like, the, their friends have picked up on it, and then their teacher has picked up on it. And what they've started to do is singing My Lighthouse with words in their nursery all together, shining in the darkness, I will follow you, oh, my lighthouse, all that one, you know? In my wrestling and in my doubt, you won't give up, you won't walk out. Jesus is there in that nursery being proclaimed, and he's doing it through little children. 
Don't discount yourself from being used by God. He wants to use humble people, people who are totally dependent on him, totally dependent on their heavenly father, and he wants to reveal himself to them. He wants to bless you. Some of you, you feel far from God tonight. Maybe some of you tonight, you feel lacking in hope. Where's God in this situation? I don't feel close to God at the moment. Can I just remind you to come back to God in humility and say, God, I'm sorry that I go my own way. I want to depend on you again. God, I pray that in humility that you'd reveal yourself to me. I want to know your love. And what I encourage you to do with everything in me is to say to God in humility again, Lord, use me, send me, reveal yourself through me. And God, I can't possibly do it in my own strength. But with the authority that you give me as I go in your name, which has all the power, would you use, God, even me so that the name of Jesus Christ might be lifted up? God loves to use humble people. He loves to reveal himself to humble people. And he loves to reveal himself through humble people. And the key to it, if you like, if you just want to start tonight, how do I start this? How do I just take a step into it? I mean, I should say, it's been so encouraging to me just to hear stories of where people in our church, just over the past couple of weeks, have begun to share what God's doing with other people. They've just, there's, there's a conversation they've had with a, a workmate. People have prayed for someone. They've reached out. But if you just want to take a step tonight and say, yeah, God, I want to step into this humility thing that you might reveal yourself to me and through me, we need to follow the warning that Jesus gives. You see, the disciples come back. They're full of joy. God, even the demons submit to us in your name. Do you notice the pride that could creep in there? Even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says this in verse 20. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Don't submit. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. This is what it's all about. No matter how successful or unsuccessful this ministering and messaging we do might seem to be, it's all about our name being written in heaven. Not in a selfish way, but that's what our hope is in. That's what our security is in. That's what our identity is in. That's what our rejoicing is in. Don't rejoice in how successful or unsuccessful you are in sharing Jesus Christ. Remember that your name is written in heaven. And tonight, we're gonna take communion together. And what I'd encourage you to do is we take the bread and wine and say, God, thank you that you gave yourself for me. And thank you now that as I've trusted in you, my name is written in heaven. That means it can't be taken away. You are known to God. You're a part of his family. And now, God, thank you that as my name is written in heaven, your name is with me as I go about to everyone that I know in your name and in your power. Let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us and thank you that as we come to you, you write our name in heaven and that can never be taken away. And tonight we want to put identity in that. Thank you that you use humble people and humbly, God, tonight we say, use us. Move through us, even us, Lord. And we pray that your name, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up in our lives and in those around us. Amen.